Romans. Jess, would you go to my office and see if my glasses are on my desk? If not, there should be a pair in the drawer. Just bring those to me if you would. I had them a minute ago. I can still uh, see to read Romans. Those are sunglasses over here. Oh, that's all right. We'll proceed. The book of Romans. I was sitting uh, trying to think of what to preach, and I have always um, loved Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek we're going to start our reading for the sake of context with chapter 1 and verse 1. Read down through verse 4 and then pick up our reading uh, at verse 14. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? It's a custom that we have here at Southwest to stand when Scripture is read because it was a pattern among God's people of old. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, thank you, who was descended from David according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And skip down, please, to verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We thank you for the Lord's Day. We thank you for this Lord's Day evening. We thank you for the unity of your church, which is expressed here this evening by people gathering from various congregations, and yet we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, our God, to be with us as we come together this evening, considering the Scriptures. I ask you to be with me as I preach this text. Lord God, I confess I am not sufficient to myself. I confess, O Lord, my own sinfulness. In spite of these things, I pray, O God, that you would give to me your spirit to preach with boldness this wonderful text, these wonderful words of truth. Be with the congregation as they hear that it would be our Lord, that you would use these words for the strengthening of your people, for a building up of the saints of Christ, O Lord, and for the grace of repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask all of you a question this evening and be honest with yourselves. Have you ever had an obsession with something? And what is an obsession? It is an unhealthy and compulsive preoccupation with something or someone, according to the definition of Merriam-Webster Dictionary, or again, an irrational motive for performing trivial or repetitive actions even against your own will. 
someone who is totally fixated upon something, even when it is not particularly healthy. You can think of someone who has an obsession with having five quarters, three dimes, three nickels, and four pennies in their left pocket every day. And if they're not there, just can't go out the door. Something just not right. Also in that little purse are three guitar picks and one little flashlight. Or again, something that people are really obsessed with in the South, football. I took a call to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Muscle Shoals is in the top uh, northwestern corner of the state of Alabama, about 20 miles south of Tennessee, about 20 miles to the east of Mississippi. When I first got there, somebody said, uh, well, who do you support in football, Alabama or Auburn? I said, I hadn't really thought, <laughs> hadn't really thought about it. Uh, they were passionate about their football. A friend of mine, Steve Justly, pastored a church in Gazin, Alabama called Rainbow Prez, and one Wednesday evening, two of the officers got in a fight over football. One was a big fan of Alabama, one was a big fan of Auburn, and they were on the floor rolling around knocking over chairs. And as you can imagine, it kind of messed up their prayer meeting that evening. That is called an obsession, uh, an obsession that is really overblown commitment expressed. Well, in the text this evening, I think we can say this, and this is a good thing. The Apostle Paul had an obsession. His obsession was to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good obsession. That's a good commitment. That's a good thing to have central in your life, preaching for the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in the opening verses of Romans chapter 1, we see why it was that the, Paul, that the Apostle Paul was committed to preaching, particularly when we look at verse 4. Again, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The Apostle Paul understood that Christ was the only means of salvation, the only means of hope. Listen to this. We live in a fallen world. You live under the gavel of God's mallet. And either God pronounces you guilty, or he pronounces you innocent. And there's no way to get around that. The atheist who denies God's existence does not change the fact that God is. Does not change the fact that God is judge. It doesn't change it in the least. Well, the Apostle Paul was convinced of the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know. And he was so committed to it, we read of it in the scriptures, First, First Corinthians 2, the verses 1 through 3. When I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim to you that your testimony of God in lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Or again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. For indeed, preach Christ, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Latter do it out of love, and knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me or cause me problem in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. His love and commitment to Christ was such that as long as he was being preached, whether the people were doing it to give him grief and misery, as long as he was being preached, the Apostle Paul 
was pleased with that. Well, how did he get such zeal? The truthfulness of Christianity is not rooted in some abstract thought. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in real events. Paul's faith rested in the historical facts that Jesus Christ came into the world, that Jesus Christ preached the gospel, that Jesus Christ took our guilt upon himself on the cross of Calvary, that he died upon the cross of Calvary, and he was raised from the dead, as it says in the book of Romans, for our justification. Paul was convinced of that absolutely without any hesitation whatsoever. And because the gospel is effective to the means of salvation in the lives of other people, it is that we should absolutely grasp onto it and live by it and be encouraged by it. Christ is the hope of our life in this world and in the world to come. With three things this evening. In the first place, the apostles' conviction concerning the validity of the gospel is the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is at the heart of Christianity. You strip away the reality of the resurrection and you strip away the hope of life. The legitimacy of the entirety of our faith rests upon what Paul writes in chapter 1 and verse 4 of the book of Romans. Do you, without hesitation, cling to, believe in, rest upon the reality that Jesus Christ was dead and that he was raised from the dead. It is, I think, that we become, become so caught up into religi- religiosity uh, that at times we fail to focus upon the reality of our redemption being placed upon Christ. We become churchmen. We get involved in the life of a particular church. But do we really keep before us the reality of our hope being resting upon, not some, uh, not, not worship even, as important as worship is, and not theology even, as important as theology is, and theology is very important, but upon Christ crucified and Christ resurrected from the dead, there is our hope, there is our confidence. There are people in heaven that don't know the confession of faith. There are likely people in hell that did know the confession of faith. It's resting upon Christ, and upon Christ alone there is our hope. And here, Jesus in his life said, I am the great I am. There he is in John chapter 8, claiming divinity to himself. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am God in the flesh. I am. And you know what they did, if you were familiar with the account in John chapter 8. They picked up stones that were going to kill him because he made himself out to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. And Christ only claimed his divinity. He also said he had the power to lay down his life. And you can say this, well, I have that power too. I can take my own life if I choose to. I can take my own life. That's not what Jesus did. When Christ said, I have the power to take my life, I have the power to raise it up again. He was saying that I'm sovereign over my life and no one can touch me. Until I give them permission in my sovereign purposes, until I allow myself to be taken and nailed upon the cross of Calvary, I have the power to take my life by giving it into the hands of those who will destroy me. 
But I also have the power to take it up again. They're the power to raise himself from the dead. This Jesus, who had power in and of himself, could lay his life down and could also take it up again. These claims that Christ made of himself, no other person in any other religion ever claimed such things as Jesus did. Remember when Christ was speaking and the people heard him and said, No man, no man ever spoke like this man. No man said the things, but like this man, no man had the authority that this man exhibits in his teaching. Oh, no man had ever been God in the flesh before as he came into the world. No man ever spake like this man, they said. Christ proved his claims to be the Son of God over and over and over again. But the zenith of the proof was in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I have told my congregation before, had uh, Jesus stayed in the grave, there would be no church today. You remember the disciples were hiding in the room where they thought he was uh, never going to come back. And they weren't out teaching the scriptures. They weren't out preaching the gospel, the good news of Christ, because as far as they knew, he was dead and gone. But because he was raised from the dead, because he appeared to those men in the upper room, uh, it is I. Uh, See, Thomas, a week later, I don't believe it. I don't believe you saw him. Dead people don't come back to life. That's the fact. Unless I see, unless I touch his hands, Lest I put my hand in his side where the spear pierced him. I won't believe until then. Ah, the next week, there's Christ. Thomas, here, touch me. See his eye. And what does Thomas do? My Lord and my God. There, the author of life, coming back to life, that he might give life to all who would trust and hope in him for their salvation. And he pulls away from us. He takes away from us the dread of our own death. And we can die in confidence. And we can die in hope. And we can die in certainty that when we leave this life, we go to be with the company of the redeemed that God has taken from the beginning of time. All the saints of God, as it says in the book of Hebrews, the souls of men made perfect now in the presence of God, made perfect through their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ authenticated his claims. If Jesus had made such statements as he did, even performing miracles as he did, had he not risen from the dead, there would have been no declaration that this is God's Son. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ gives authenticity, authenticates his claims. The resurrection is God's official stamp of approval upon the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God, by the resurrection of the dead. If anything shouts out from heaven that this is my Son, 
This is my son that I sent into the world to redeem my people is the resurrection of the dead. There God places his stamp of approval upon every word, every act, everything that Christ did by raising him from the dead. And he is alive and he is alive forevermore. So for us, it should take away all doubts that we may have in our hearts. It should take away all concerns we might have uh, in our lives, all questions, all uncertainties about the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had he not risen from the dead again, there would be no church. No one ever made claims like Christ made. Uh, they were they were sensational. Uh, he had the power, he said, to forgive sins. He had the power to raise people from the dead, the power to give sight to the blind, the power to do these absolutely marvelous miracles. But again, the benchmark of his ministry is seen in the resurrection of Christ. There is no need for us to doubt that. Don't doubt Jesus was risen from the dead. We know he was. The question is, what are you going to do with him? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to believe in his word? Well, there's no reason logically not to do so. The apostle declared him to be the son of God, the resurrection power that was involved in his coming back to life. Dunamis is the word that is used there. It's a word for dynamite, as I'm sure many of you know, but he was raised with power. He says here in the text. How many people have the power to bring somebody back from the dead? Pat Robertson, uh, I think that was his name, Liberty University. Uh, I had some theological differences with Pat Robertson. One time he was preaching, I happened to catch him on the television. And he was saying, there's no one alive that can raise anybody from the dead today. He said, if you think you can, bring a body in here and let me see you raise them from the dead. Let me see you do it. Prove that you can. And of course, nobody can. But Christ did raise himself from the dead. And there's that great, again, announcement that he is indeed the Son of God. He was raised in power. He was raised by the spirit of holiness there, the resurrection, uh, the Trinity being involved in the resurrection of Christ from the dead there, the spirit being involved in it. And the resurrection from the dead authenticates the claims of Jesus. It authenticates the virgin conception. It authenticates the angels singing the night that he was born. It authenticates every miracle that he performed. It authenticates uh, his uh, um, saving the elect of God. Uh, every question that we may have, every thought that we may have at a doubt, the resurrection of Christ authenticates everything of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates God's love for you. Hey, do you ever think God just doesn't love me? Why would we think such a thing? Years because you don't get your way about something, isn't it? It's because you pray about something and pray about something and God says no. So you conclude, well, God doesn't love me like I thought he did. He doesn't love me as I understood he did because he said no. And this really breaks my heart. I really, really, really wanted this. You pray for somebody that's sick and they don't get well. And they die. And it tears your heart out. And you think to yourself, well, what is God doing here? 
doesn't he answer my prayers? Didn't he hear me? Doesn't he see how, how desperately I wanted this to happen? God is not a genie in a lamp. So that uh, our wish is his command. We have to trust him in those decisions like that. That it's best and it's right. Proverbs 3. Lean not to your honors and acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. We have to let God be God. There are times in our lives when the circumstances seem to be saying to us, God is not involved. God does not care. God is not in control. And yet when we have those questions, we go back to the cross of Calvary. There is God's statement of deep love for us as it is seen no other place. Christ coming to give himself for our sakes upon the cross of Calvary. God's son who had been a part of the Godhead for all eternity, taking on flesh and suffering the condemnation that our sins deserve from God himself. Martin Luther was heard to exclaim one time, God denied by God, how can it possibly be? Well, there, as he was stricken, as he was afflicted, you keep this in mind, it was because of your own sin and my sin. And it should motivate us to despise the things that we do that are contrary to God's purposes, contrary to God's will. And yet if we are honest with ourselves, there are things that we love that are unlawful that we don't want to let them go. (laughs) There was Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because of you. That's why. It was because of me. I like the hymn, you who take sin but lightly. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Well, again, the exclamation that Christ was indeed the Son of God, raised from the dead for our sakes. It's a pause. It's like one obligation to preach to Greeks and to barbarians. Barbarians was anybody that didn't speak Greek. I guess I'd be a barbarian. I, I, I speak English, not Greek. I can kind of read Greek. Not really speaking. The barbarians is Christ uh, placed upon this apostle to do uh, this work. And another that love this, the power of God for salvation to all who believe. There expressed is hope. The power of God for salvation to all who believe. When we are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, we have this confidence. I am saved. By the power and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There God's righteousness is exposed, is on parade, is on display in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can a God who is infinite in holiness and justice possibly except people who are sinful and contrary to his purposes, 180 degrees, antithetical to God's desires and God's uh, plans, if you will. He didn't uh, wouldn't have, in no way have us to be ungodly before him. And there's nothing that we could do. We couldn't make ourselves right with God. And the solution, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the book of Ephesians, it says that the angels 
learn more about God as they observe the work of the Savior. They learn. Uh, Their knowledge is not infinite. Uh, They learn about God's great work and God's great mercy and God's great grace as they look at the, the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and people being gathered in from all parts of the world into the church by His grace. Here again, God's righteousness revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The necessity of salvation rests in believing in God's Messiah. What must we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Are you going to be perfect? No. You're not going to be perfect. Are you going to sin? Yep. And we don't take comfort in that. Say, so, well, I'm, I'm a sinner. It's okay. And not okay. Uh, as God does not look at you and say, it's okay. I understand. Uh, you're human. To err is human. To sin is human. Well, Yeah. But God does not say it's okay by any stretch of the imagination. We don't comfort ourselves in thinking, well, uh, God expects me to sin. He expects you to live and demands that you live a righteous life before him. And we live by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. What is our goal? What does Jesus say in John chapter uh, 5 and verse 48? You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. There is the mandate. Can we do it? No. How do we have standing before God? Through faith in Jesus. But we are declared not guilty through faith in Christ, justified by the Savior through faith in the work that he did on our behalf. Let's pray.